This is the Ops Authority Podcast, where my mission is to break down the backside of your business so you can take the right actions to grow and scale. Hey, I'm Natalie Gingrich, a small business operations expert, and I'm going to give you a front row seat to real solutions that will help you reach the vision that you have for your business, all while equipping you to put out those inevitable pesky fires and those fears that pop up. Listen in for strategies to grow your team, craft the systems and processes that you need for your business, and establish business foundations that you may have skipped over. I know you're ready to do really big things, so let's do it together. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Ops Authority Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Gingrich, and we have a special guest today, someone who's going to answer a question and a topic that comes up in our audience with our community all the time around leading people, building culture, all kinds of good stuff we're going to touch on inside of this episode today. We have a guest and a friend of the Ops Authority, Becky Bruner, here with us today. Becky is a values-driven, adventure-loving team culture strategist. She works with female business owners and service providers like us to get them connecting with their teams on a level beyond just work. In order to keep productivity high, relationships strong, and team members genuinely happy, you have to have a strategy that develops and nurtures a positive team culture. Becky will help create a plan that strengthens your team's culture and allows you to lead a team of motivated, connected, and happy employees without having the awkward, quote-unquote, feelings talk and confrontational meetings. You can take the first step towards connecting with your team by downloading her free 30 days of team connection props at choosehappyassisting.com or follow Becky on Instagram at choosehappyassisting. Becky, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm super excited to hang out with you today, Natalie. Awesome. I love it. So that was the official bio that everybody needs to read because my goodness, we spend so much time like getting those things dialed in and improving them, right? (laughs) So now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk a little bit more about Becky. Everyone who tunes into the podcast is just like us. We have a cool history or at least a history and some experience behind us. And I think it's just fun to kind of peek behind the door and see a little bit more about the guests that are coming in, a little bit about their histories and then them just as a person because around here, we care a lot about legacy and just that whole person matters to us. So give us a, a bigger view of who Becky is. Oh, thank you, Natalie. So I'm from Wisconsin, born and raised. I live here with my husband, high school sweetheart, and our two kids. Very busy mama with run into every possible sport that you can think of. If it's on the list, I think we've checked it off lately. But when we're not doing that, we absolutely love spending time outside, hiking, fishing, camping, being on the water, you name it. We absolutely love it. But to think about kind of my experience to where I am today, I was born a first daughter. So if that tells you anything at all, I'm definitely mama bear, take charge, leader of the pack. I was asked since practically kindergarten to lead any group that I was in any group project. Automatically, if I was in their group, I was nominated to be the one presenting, speaking, anything of that sort. The president of our parents club at school, the president of any organization that I was in in college, just a natural leader. And so for me, as I got older, I I didn't really realize that that wasn't natural to everybody else. I just automatically did those things with a mother, grandmother, aunts that spoke at speaking competitions that we all just did that. You did that. You kind of took charge. I'm an Enneagram two wing three. So I'm always helping people. Can you just stop? Are we twins? (laughs) 
<laughs> Firstborn daughter, two wing three, lots of leadership in me. I had no idea like you that everyone just didn't come by that naturally. I kind of thought like people just chose to like kind of pipe down, but yeah, we are. We're so alike. Keep going. Sorry. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So just so much experience, just growing up alone, being a leader and then stepping into those roles in whatever I did going forward. I went to college in Wisconsin and then started my first job two days after college graduation, because why would you take a break? I worked in marketing communications for a manufacturing company for a little over 12 years, wore as many possible hats as you could think of. And really helped infiltrate team culture there without even knowing it, just because it's a natural habit for myself. I moved on to a wellness company where I worked there and just saw incredible culture and helped that. I was on the fun committee and just super fun memories there. And in September of 2019, I decided enough of kind of the corporate garbage that I'd been dealing with, with people being bought out by conglomerates and and everything that that entails, and started my own business. I started with project management as that was what I was super comfortable with. I knew how to do it and I knew I could tell business owners that I could take that on. Starting to work with those female business owners, I automatically started working on team culture without it even being my job. I just did it. Connection is so important to me. It's literally my lifeblood. And so working on connection just kind of came natural in those org- you know, groups that I was working with. You know, some of the things that we're going to talk about today is just getting creative about things that you love and have loved working either together in person or things that you love to do with your friends and family and getting creative on how you can do those things in a virtual space. So I'm excited to talk today. Yes, I love it. And there is even more similarities there in the back end of what you were just talking about. My goodness, we really are cut from the same cloth. <laughs> <laughs> what an honor to have you here, Becky. Thanks so much for taking the time out today. So as a director of operations, we come in as the strategic partner to a business owner and a brand. And by and large, one of the greatest skills that we're going to exercise and first is going to be in the project management space. Much like it sounds like your experience, you come in, you're a master of creating project plans, building them, executing them. And then of course, with that comes managing the people. And that's what has at least open my eyes to the whole soft side of people, which is what we call human resources. I, like you, came by this very naturally. And it really does. It was built off of, and to my, like, really to my chagrin, I wasn't even expecting that I was going to be a people leader. I was always, I would say, a good human. I cared like about the human being and not just, you know, the productivity and some of the other, you know, hard skill stuff that we're looking for. But as a developer of people, and someone who was responsible for projects and goals, I knew that I could not run a project and deliver it on time, under budget, and with good morale unless I focused on the people. And so putting together project teams, this is kind of how I began in the whole culture space, but I came in as a project manager and then I started to get really smart about choosing the right people for my team at the company that I was in. We had a lot of resources and a lot of people as a Fortune 150 company. So I had a lot of people around me. So I got to build project teams and kind of have people interview for slots on the team. So in doing that, that's really where I started to see that this was a really precious commodity. And it sounds like we probably, again, have another overlap in experience because I didn't go to school for human resources. You know, honestly, it really is. I always say that HR is 70% 
like human and good people skills and 30% science, you know, and that's usually legalities more than anything else. And so think about that 70% of this is, is really just who you are, a lot of the intuitive side of you, and then just really choosing to get to know people on a relationship level. And so that's just a little bit about my story and how I got into being interested and seeing that there was room for, there was space for this in the market. Like we actually could develop higher performing teams and project teams by zoning in on who these people were. And not every single project manager had that same skill set in corporate. They would sometimes pick people who had more experience, more aligned experience to the project that we were delivering on and on. And, you know, sometimes that worked out for them, but I would see for the majority of the time, they may have been able to pull off the project. They didn't do it with, with the same passion and the same path that I was able to do by getting to know people on a deep level. So DOOs come in as a strategic partner and we take over that project piece. And then the next thing is much to what I alluded to, you're going to have to develop good or better improved relationships with the people on the team. And sometimes you're hiring those people in, but a lot of times you adopt them, right? They're already in the business. And so now you're the new leader or the new project manager, and you're trying to build morale so that the project goes off better. Sometimes in a DOO capacity, actually lots of times we are coming in as a leader on the team. And so not only are we getting these teammates to embrace us and include us and see us as a leader and also still approachable, but the other side of this is we are trying to set the tone for efficiency, productivity, for scaling with greater ease. And I do believe very, very deeply that this is an area that has not been totally unlocked. And so having an expert like you here on the podcast to help give us some really tactical tips. I know that we've talked about this before, but understanding what we can do as leaders of these businesses in whatever capacity you're in, whether it's a project or a retainer capacity, understanding how we can influence culture, because I know the benefits of doing that. We'll talk about that today. So anyway, I'm really excited. You can tell I'm all jazzed up to talk about culture and with somebody who does this specifically. I love that you've niched down to this too, but we won't have to go there right now. (laughs) So tell me some of the ways, I know you've got three ways that you're going to share with us today. Go ahead and kick us off with the first one and how we can build culture with a virtual team. I want to focus on that virtual piece because I think that's the growing landscape that we're going to see. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about just three very basic ways. Of course, there are a million different things that you're going to do, but we're going to start small because a lot of times when people think about team culture, it is very overwhelming. They're just like, "Ah, I don't want to talk about it. Like we're fine. We're fine. Just we're going to keep doing what we're doing. So the first one is onboarding processes. And so often, you know, you need somebody right now. People aren't hiring ahead of time. They're hiring right now. And okay, let's get started. Go. And they walk in and they're like, well, where do I go to find a document? And where do I go to communicate? And who's on the team? And where's training? And all of the details. And so they're constantly having to ask you, now, how much time are you saving as a leader by having this person start when you're having to answer questions all day, every day? So by having a plan in place for them, whether you use your project management tool or whatever that you use so that you have a templated process. Week one, we're going to work on you do these trainings, watch these videos. This is where you find everything. This is where you go to the Google Drive. This is where you, how you talk to people on Slack. Let's meet the team. Having a team meeting. 
this is everybody on the team. This is who they are. This is what they look like. This is what they do. So that they have a better idea. Like I know that I need to reach out to Jane about design so that I can ask her questions about that. Having reach out reminders. So I know for me, I automatically think of a lot of things to take care of, but many people, there's just so much going on in their world that it's just a lot. They may forget to reach out to that new person to check in on how they're doing. I have a list of checking questions already in that task for myself that I'm going to ask them and be like, hey, Bobby, how's it going? You know, how's your first week going? Do you feel like the training videos were helpful? What do you think was missing? Do you have everything that you need to get started on your first few tasks? Are you feeling comfortable? Do you still need extra help? And also maybe that they need a mentor on the team to kind of just help them those first few weeks as a guide. And then also helping them understand the team culture from the start. Maybe that you do a fun activity right away during that first team meeting where they join, or you're able to have a happy hour, whatever it is, to just really engage them and help them understand what the team culture is from the start because otherwise, oftentimes, they're just feeling like, I'm not quite sure what's going on, how this team works. But that entire onboarding process, helping them to feel like they're going to be successful, that they're important, and that you're excited for them to be on the team. So that's just some of the key ways to help with the onboarding process. Definitely. I mean, you're talking to another process person. So I kind of jam on this stuff. I have certainly, even in my own business, to tell on myself, and even back in my corporate days, you know, people would end up coming in faster than you expected, and you had great plans and and thoughts around creating and curating a wonderful like first five days or first three weeks, whatever that looked like, and time gets away from you. And so this is, I agree with you. One of the strongest things that you can do from the very beginning is know what it's going to look like when someone joins you because we have the ability to meet with them on the first day and whatever we put inside of that job description, whatever we wrote down that we kind of marketed this position as. I mean, I I try to be a pretty rational person, but for whatever reason, they get here on day one and we automatically think, and of course I have a hiring business and an agency who does this every single day. And we see this all the time where these leaders will welcome a new hire to their company and they expect 100% of the job description to be able to be done on day one or week one. And as you say that, it's like, well, duh, there's no way that could happen. But there's something with us. And I think it's the ambition and the drive of the business owner. And then also desperation, just wanting someone to come in and be able to do all of that. And think about it from their perspective. I'm always slowing them down and saying, hey, take these couple of weeks while we're getting the right candidates in to really focus on where you want to go. We have a podcast for the first five days of onboarding the very first day. You want to create, I mean, I always promote really creating really good connection on that first day, which means like for me and in our business, I get really real with who I am, why I built this business. I tell them a whole lot more about my history than they'll find on the internet. I talk about me as a person, me as a professional, me as a mother. We start to build that because because organically, we start to have connection because they're going to share their experiences and whatnot. So the very first day is quite conversational. It's not scripted. And here's the thing. It takes time. It's not like a, okay, we've got 30 minutes to squeeze all of this in. It doesn't work like that internally here. We set aside two hours. And I mean, if y'all know anything about me, you can bet your bottom dollar that I take all two hours. (laughs) If they gave me four, I'd probably make that happen too. But you know, we want to give a lot of time 
Because here's the downfall that I have seen, Becky, you probably can chime in on this too. When people come in, they feel rushed. They don't have, I mean, I don't even think this has to be like a handbook kind of situation. I think that those are somewhat antiquated and they're a living document. Like they never finish, even if you do start them. But I don't even think all that has to be ready. You know, when you're bringing someone on to develop real relationships so that they feel comfortable asking, giving them permission from day one. Hey, I'm a curious person. I value curiosity. If you have questions, you're going to come to me with these questions. You're going to go to Alex with these questions. You're going to go to Amy and et cetera with these specific questions. But getting inside the head of the new person that's joining your company and really allowing them to know that this is a safe place. They don't have to have all the answers. They're not going to have all the answers. And we as business owners sometimes put them in a situation where they feel like they have to. And that's more of a character and a leadership flaw, in my opinion. So thank you for pointing out the onboarding processes. That's where you build. That's your first real sense of communication, compassion, and candor. And if you don't do it on day one, I have a really strong feeling that there's a very small, yeah, there's a very small chance that they'll ever trust you enough to let you in later on whenever you really need it, or you're willing to take time to do it. And I always try to make sure during that first day or so of onboarding process that I try to find out what makes them tick, Mm -hmm. like what is so important to them. And maybe for me, you've asked me, and what's really important to me is that I'm at all of my kids' events. That's like number one, super important to me. And I write that down mm-hmm. because in a couple of weeks, I might ask them more about that. And mm-hmm. oftentimes they're so surprised and thankful that I remembered what was really important to them. And then I just, you know, people are really important to me, having that human to human connection and making sure that they realize that they are important. And I do actually care. I actually care. You know, if somebody told me that their grandma was ill and they were just having a hard time with it in a couple of days, I'm like, how's your grandma doing? Are you doing okay? Like, are you, you know, struggling with this? Like, what do you need? Because oftentimes when they feel cared for and that their employer or whoever they work for cares about them, they're more apt to maybe work harder to catch up because they couldn't do said things. They're more likely to reach out to you to put in extra work or whatever the case may be. But when people feel appreciated and cared for, amazing things happen. Right. And as you say that, it's like, well, yeah, we want that humanly. We want that in all of our relationships. And we think of personal relationships. But if you apply those same principles to a professional relationship, you get more, right? I mean, it's not hard to separate. Well, it may be hard to separate. But you know, I think about relationships with my friends or my husband or my sister. And, and what makes those relationships so strong? Constant open communication, forgiveness, understanding, you know, being comfortable, those things. Apply them in your business. And of course, you're going to get the best part of them, right? I don't want someone hiding because they know that they can't give me 100% today because they have an ailing grandmother. I want to know that they have an ailing grandmother. And I also, as a leader, I want to make sure that I'm not expecting them to be in two places at once. I mean, because I can't do that, right? Like I think about myself and situations that are going on. Like it's just, you know, I think having realistic expectations and being human in the way that we work with people in a professional perspective is just so important. What's the second way to help us with building culture virtually? So the second one kind of goes along with what we've just been talking about and really being, especially in this virtual space, accommodating to team members. While people have been leaving the corporate workspace in droves, 
they are yearning for flexibility. They're yearning to feel appreciated and enjoy the work that they do. And most of the time, and the people that I've worked with, the businesses that I've worked with, with that flexibility, said flexibility in their hours. While you do need some core hours, depending on the work that you do, if you need for customer service, et cetera, it is important to have those accommodations based on their needs and having those discussions with them right away being real, talking together, like say you have a bunch of moms working for you. Maybe they work at core times in the afternoon because of nap time. Maybe they're not available in early morning hours because of drop off at school, whatever it is, being upfront so that you all kind of know together. This is when the team's going to be available so that we can work together and make it happen. Yeah. And I just want to legally throw this out there that the descriptions that she's sharing right now are for employees because as an independent contractor, there's a lot more leeway. There's a hundred percent leeway because you perform the work with your tools and your time, but it is important in both regardless of an employee or a contractor to be very, very clear in what the expectation is. Right. And so I don't mind if people flex their hours, I do mind if we don't have accomplishments throughout the week, you know, if we're not working towards the goals, of course, that would be a a big problem for us and for any other business. But knowing what success looks like on a week to week basis is very, very important. And then allowing people the liberty to get it done in a timeline that works for them. But I also agree that we do want to make sure that we're coming together as a team too. It can't, I don't know how businesses do that, that never bring the entire team or at least portions or divisions of the team together. I know that they do work and there are people out there. I just haven't seen them be all that productive. And it it seems like those are places where there's a lot of turnover and stuff. So Anyway, off topic a little bit, but accommodating team members, you know, that's the human part again. It all comes down to not having different expectations for someone else than you would have for yourself. And I think that's kind of like the golden rule, right? (laughs) So accommodating team members, just getting to know them on a personal level so that they will open up and tell you what is important to them. That's something that we do, Becky, on day two. I go over kind of what's important to me, the key players in my life, both personally and professionally. I talk about my pet peeves, what makes me happy and what ticks me off. And I then at the, I say, okay, here's your slide deck. Tomorrow, we're going to kick off with you sharing those things with me because I want to make sure it's not just one-sided. And I also don't do it on day one because they, I mean, I'm working with people who are typically operators. And so they need some time to process. So they want some time to get those thoughts on paper. And then they come back on the second day and and we share that. The third thing here for us. Creating connection, which literally is like my all-time favorite, like we talked about earlier. Creating strong connections amongst team members and employees is so, so critical. I think it's probably one of the most important things in creating a strong and positive team culture. And I just think that having little things that work for your team. So every team is completely different. I can't walk into your team and say that we're going to do X, Y, and Z because it works for Jane's team. Every team works differently in how they connect, communicate, collaborate. And so we need to think together about what's going to work. And so a few ideas that are my favorite on Mondays and a lot of the teams that I've worked with over the years, I have icebreaker questions. So on Monday mornings on Boxer, I sent out a list of questions and I encourage you to start small. 
maybe start with one question or three questions because sometimes having a whole bunch is a little bit overwhelming for the team and for you to think of the questions. I like to be just super random, whatever possibly comes to my head that day, I may ask the team. And what I used to do was actually just have them in a Slack or kind of a written format. But what I found through Voxer was that you hear excitement or possibly other tones and voices that may tell you like what they're excited about or if they're having problems or whatever the case may be. So I always bring it back to a question that I asked. I asked, what was their favorite ride at an amusement park? Like if they think about their childhood, what was their favorite ride ever? And if someone would have typed the Excalibur roller coaster, that's how I would have read it, the Excalibur roller coaster. But when I hear it in their voice and they're like, oh my gosh, the Excalibur roller coaster. And it was like, woo, so crazy. Like, oh, like you start to like hear in people like what they get really excited about. Or maybe on a Monday morning, someone, you know, asks some questions and their voice is really down. They're just like, yeah, it was okay. And whatever else. I may personally one-on-one ask that person some questions in Slack and be like, you know, Hey, Natalie, how are you doing? I just noticed that you sound a little down this morning. Is everything going okay? Let me know how I can help you. So just using that as a tool to help get a gauge on your team of how they're doing for the week. A couple of the other things is having channels in Slack, if that's where you communicate. So like a water cooler channel to just chat about random things throughout the week. Personally, having a celebrations channel. I give shout outs for birthdays for team members, shout outs for their anniversary, work anniversary, shout outs for people that did a really good job on a client project. Like Stephanie, you knocked that design out of the park. Brenda said that it was the best thing she'd ever seen in her whole life. Like a whole team absolutely loves seeing that and giving shout outs for that as well. Also, just encouraging leaders in those spaces. They don't have to say every single detail, but just being a little bit more vulnerable, especially during those first stages of meeting team members, because if they are, if they're sharing a little bit more, then team members feel more comfortable to share as well. If they're giving the basics like, yep, had a baseball game, and like that's about the extent. They don't really share very much, very much detail. The team members most likely won't as well. Another thing that people love is virtual game nights. And a lot of times you can find free things to do. So this last year on YouTube, I found like name that tune. There was like a 70s version, an 80s version, all these fun versions. So we played that. I would play the song and the team would blurt out and guess songs. And we laughed for like 45 minutes because some of these songs was like, how did they know that? And like some of the younger members were like, have no idea what some of these 80s songs are. And some of us older team members were like, we have no idea what some of the new songs are. So that was super fun. Having book clubs, if your team is a bunch of book nerds, that that may be perfect for your team. Virtual team retreats, bringing people in to speak. One of the virtual retreats in the last couple of years, having an Enneagram expert coming in, doing a deep dive into the Enneagrams and really helping teach team members, having somebody come in and talk about disc assessments and the strengths of the team and who would work together. Individual connections, maybe pairing people up. If you're finding that people aren't connecting very well, maybe for a month or so, you schedule. Like, hey, you guys should have a one-on-one and kind of just making your own schedule. I don't usually advise that because people are like, we have to do this because Becky said we did. But just encouraging people to connect and get to know each other a little better. Because what I always say is you're going to find a commonality whether you think so or not. I may meet somebody that lived on the other side of the world. And we find out that growing up, we both loved 
My Little Pony or whatever it was, or we both have this commonality. I've met a ton of women lately on connection calls that we find out we had similar childhoods. We both were in, you know, 4-H. We both loved camping or whatever it is. You're going to find those commonalities to talk about and get to know one another. And so I think that connection is just one of those key things to work on in the business if you're really struggling with team culture. I, I mean, I'm serious, Becky. We get this question all the time. It seems like when we start getting into the content in our certification around human resources and leading people, developing people, this is developing our teammates. This is the topic. It's like, okay, I'm starting our meetings and how, how can I do this just starting at the meeting level? And I think one of the things that you suggested here was just you know having the icebreaker questions. I worked for a gentleman who was very big on this. And I remember coming into it because I was the DOO. He already had this as an established practice. I remember coming in being like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Like, I don't know anybody here. And it was right at the very beginning. And that week it was, do you like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? They were always the most basic questions. I remember a big controversial question was... (laughs) It seemed to always come down to food, but it was like, do you like ice cream in a cup or do you like ice cream in a cone? And do you like Fruity Pebbles or are you team Cocoa Krispies? And every week we had something like that. And even though it, of course, had nothing to do with work, the beauty was that it had nothing to do with work. Nobody was right and nobody was wrong, but it did get us talking. And those are some of the things, you know what? Every single time I see an Andy's ice cream, I don't know if you guys have those out there, They're not very frequent around here, but every time I see an Andy's ice cream, I think of this one gentleman on that team because he loved Andy's ice cream. And it wasn't even a brand that was near us at the time. So you do learn a whole lot about it. And it just kind of lets down the walls of, you know, things that can be going on in their life personally or professionally. And then sometimes if you just don't feel like you connect with a team, you have something really ancillary that you can begin to conversate about. So I'm a big believer in what those icebreakers can be. And actually with every single episode of the Ops Authority podcast, we have an ops activity. And so I would like for you guys to make a list, a couple, don't challenge yourself with making 10 or a dozen. Let's just start with three. What are three of the connection questions that you could ask those icebreakers that you could employ and come up with and deliver in your next team meeting. I would love to hear what you guys have to say. You can head on over to theopsinsiders.com and we'll have a prompt and a post there where you can post them. And then we get to build our Rolodex, right? (laughs) So I, I hope that you guys will do that for us. So Becky, this is all, we've been talking about building this morale and culture from a virtual perspective. What about some of those listeners who could be here who have an in-person team? Would you employ some of the same practices? How different would they be? Definitely. I think a lot of them are very similar. Onboarding processes are also similar. If you're in person, sharing with them what's on the docket, whether they go into a program and you kind of guide them. Okay, this is what you're going to be working on this first week. These are the, some of the trainings that you'll watch and just kind of going through that with them, introducing them in person in a meeting, the first meeting together, walking them around, showing them where things are, helping them feel comfortable, maybe taking them out to lunch to a local place like, hey, this is where there's places to eat things that are around here. You can put your lunch in the refrigerator, just the basic things where when you come in the first day, you're like, 
what do you do? It doesn't matter if you're 16 or 46. When you walk into a new place and sit down at your desk, you're like, where's the bathroom? Where can I fill my water jug? Is there a workout place nearby? Like, can I grab a cup of coffee somewhere? Like just so many basic things. Make a list. Have that. If, if you know I'm going to have 10 people starting in the next three months, have a list of that ready for yourself to just check off. Like, I don't want to forget to tell them A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I know I can easily tell them those things on the first day when we're together. And then they just feel a little more refreshed. They go home after that first day and they're like, oh, wow, I, I think I'm going to like it here. I feel comfortable. Does that person feel comfortable and ready? They know who they need to talk to so that when they start day two or the rest of their week, whatever it is, that they're ready. They're ready to dig in. They don't have more questions. Like they still don't feel like, I don't know where I go get water. I don't know where anything is. Like, I'm not sure who to go to. You want them to feel ready to take on their new role. And then creating connection. Some of those same things we just talked about, having icebreakers, even at the beginning of a sit-down meeting all together, you know, you talked about what is your favorite ice cream? And maybe somebody says a really funny flavor. You could think of like a 65-year-old gentleman being like, I love Superman ice cream. And then everybody's like, love. They just think it's the most hilarious thing. And then kind of just bringing in that camaraderie. So the next time that I see Jim at the getting water, I'm going to be like, hey, have you had any Superman ice cream lately? Like just kind of creating that connection and bond together. Yeah, I love it. These are all so, so good. And I can tell you, I'm going to take some of these back to our team too. Becky, thank you so much for being here. This is again, a hot topic and something that we can always grow, get better at, and your ideas are going to spur us in the right direction. I appreciate you being here today and also just being a follower and, and reaching out and connecting as you have. So thanks again. Thank you. It was so much fun connecting with you today. Thank you for investing just a little bit of time to listen to this episode of the Ops Authority Podcast. I am so grateful to be surrounded by real action takers like you who are invested in growing their business through operations. Will you add one more action to your to-do list today? Visit theopsauthoritypodcast.com where you can join our community of business owners and other ops experts. You're going to hear from me in a week, but in the meantime, do big things on the backside of your business.